Steve, I always start with grace. Are you ready? Yes, please. Lower your head, please. Brown, Baker, Henry, Blanchard, Norman, Mackay, Jones, White, Bobby Smith, Les Allen, Terry Dyson. Thank you. The, the double team. Absolutely. Well done, sir. What a... You were 10 years old, Stephen. Yeah, what a... What a welcome that was, Norman. Thank you very much. So um, I've already introduced you to Tom and Howard. So thank you, chaps, for your attendance again. Pushes up the listening numbers for us. And um, uh, it was great to see you the other day, Norman, but not in those circumstances. Um, but we, aren't we going to too many funerals these days for oh, people? Yeah. The only time I meet my old mates, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, so how sad is that? Let, so, let me, Stephen, let me tell you that I first met young Stephen Perryman in 1969. You were 17 and Bill Nicholson was standing on the touchline at Chesant training session. This is on the Thursday before the Saturday. He said, Norman, I want you to meet somebody. Stephen, you called you Stephen, not Steve. Yeah. Stephen... I know you came, this little angel face of a boy. And they said, this is Steve Perryman. He's a diamond of a prospect, and he'll be playing on Saturday. And uh, I thought to myself, this is unusual of a bill to, yeah. know, to praise, praise anybody. Absolutely. <laughs> a footballer. Absolutely. Many, many years later, Steve, Steve, Bill said to me, the reason I call him a diamond of a prospect and went beyond what I normally say about players, because I would like them to keep their feet in the ground, is that I needed to build him up because I knew I was throwing him in at the deep end and you never let him down. And 854 wow. matches later, you were a giant. Bill Nickerson was one of those people, and I've discussed this with his daughter, and I've mentioned it on this podcast before, and we decided that Bill was the type of man that you did not want to let down. Yeah, you played for Bill, didn't you? You did whatever you could. Because actually, when you went in the dressing room at the end of the game, whoever the manager is, you have to meet their eyes. You have to, because you're looking for some sort of acceptance or some message of how he thought you did. And, uh, you know, imagine you, you met Bill Nicholson's eyes if you hadn't give it all you've got. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very relevant today, that that comment, you know. Bill's middle name was 100%. Bill, yeah. 100% Nicholson. And he was, you wouldn't have seen him, but uh, he was Billy, Billy Nicholson when he played. And he had uh, dark ginger hair, you know. People didn't Did realise his hair was ginger. Did he? And, um, he never, ever came off that pitch without the, his shirt was wringing wet with sweat. He yeah. gave everything to every match. Did you see much of that double team? Well, I'm talking the push and run team. This yeah. yeah, 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 of course. Okay, so the, the, the before that, yeah, the, the push double and run team. team. Double team had Ted Ditchburn in goal, who, who was um, a former boxer. And, the, and he, in those days, you needed to be pugnacious to be, yeah. a, be a goalkeeper because um, centre forwards are allowed to barge you and 
put you put you into the net. Do you remember yeah. the 1958 World Cup uh, FA Cup final before your time? Nat Lofthouse. Nat Lofthouse. Harry I watched it. I watched Harry it. Again, the ball in the back of the net. Or today, he'd been sent to the tower, but then it was a goal. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. Howard, did you see that one? Nat no, Lofthouse just, with just a goalkeeper. Just before I got into the game. Was it? I wasn't interested in football until... You're not an old git like me, Howard. I'm afraid, I'm afraid I am an old git like you. But <laughs> I only started watching Tottenham in 1960. He started being an old git later. Yeah. And done a bloody good job. That double time, um, what you don't realise, Steve, the, the, the most important cog in that team was Eddie Bailey, who could land a ball on a handkerchief from 40 yards. I mean, he had incredible skill. And... Um, you know, the, the later players used to take the pee out of him, not realising just what an, an astonishing footballer he'd been. Yeah. yeah. Well, my experience of Eddie was was him doing skill drills in that lower ball court. Yeah. It wasn't the lower ball court then, it was the ball court. But, but there ended up being an upper one. And he would just demonstrate, chip the ball on that line, which is eight foot, on that wall, chip it on there, and on the second bounce, half volley into that circle. And he could do it time after time after time after time. It was incredible, the consistency that he had of those things. And people tell me that he was a, an olden-day Alan Ball in terms of his ability to one-touch pass. Yeah, very, So very that would have been a vital cog in that push-and-run team, wouldn't it? Well, he, he was the only one who allowed to dwell on the ball. The, the was rest he? Of the team released it immediately. Push and run. That was why it's called push and run. Don't yeah. go. <laughs> terrible cliche coming up. When, when in possession, when not in possession, get in position. And yeah. it's still true. And that, and that stemmed from Arthur Rowe telling the, the push and run team boys, when not in possession, get in position. And it's so, it's so simple and so obvious. And the ball moves quicker than any player can run. Yeah, can somebody tell today's players instead of don't don't keep playing cross the path, go down the go down the pitch forward. There were, you know, the second half against West Ham, we were totally dominant in possession, but we weren't getting into the penalty area. Yeah, Bailey wouldn't hit a forty-yard pass into the penalty area, and, and Len Jukeman and, and Les Bennett used to run onto it. And bang, the ball's in the back of the net. Yeah. Um, going back to the funeral, um, Norman, um, there was some great compliments paid to his wife. Who Irene. wasn't Irene, who wasn't getting buried. Of course, Jimmy was. But everyone mentioned Irene as per being the rock well, to for, Jimmy. For six years, Steve, I used to go and see, see um, Jimmy regularly at, at his home. And for six years, they, they were sitting 10 foot apart in their lounge, Jimmy watching the television and uh, not being able to express himself and Irene having to sit there. And for six years, she, she was his prop. And, and she, when, when Jim was going down, as he kept, you know, his mood kept fluctuating, it was always Irene who was picking him up. She was fantastic. And but. Yeah. In, in the end, I stopped going to see Jimmy because we were upsetting each other. We'd always finish, always finish up in tears. And he was continually asking me, you know, you bought a shotgun, you know, why, 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 why aren't you doing what I tell you? Get rid of me. You know, he, he just didn't want to be here. Mm. And the, those last six years were torture. 
Yeah. So what that meant was that his his brain was sharp. He was understanding everything that happened, be it yeah. on the television or whatever you were saying to him. Locked inside him. Must have had this frustration of not being able to join in because if anyone wanted to join in, it was Jimmy Greaves, wasn't it? Well, he was, he was the wittiest man I've ever known. And, and he, he retained his wit right to the end, but he could, because he couldn't express himself, the frustration of not being able to get his little jokes in, you know, that was the hardest thing for him. You know, he, he, he was witted than any of us. You, you, yeah, Ab- absolutely. I was being told the other day that um, Harry Redknapp is gaining momentum with regard to his theatre visits and he yeah terry baker that his agent uh spoke this and said that he's he's getting much better he's he's a shade behind jimmy (laughs) so well done well done harry (laughs) and his wife played a major role in his um recovery from the drink problem oh without question um and and funnily enough uh, she she had to go right to the worst possible thing, she divorced him. Not not because she'd fallen out of love with him. She, she just wanted to bring him to his senses, and she knew by divorcing him, it separated Jim from the greatest love of his life, which is his his four kids. And yeah. uh, and that was the biggest motivation of all for Jimmy to stop drinking. And yeah. uh, February the twentieth, nineteen seventy eight, Jimmy's thirty eighth birthday. He was at my house in Thorpe Bay in Essex at the time. And we just finished his book. This one's on me. And uh, I said, Jim, I was going to propose a toast. And my wife, my lovely late wife, Eileen, had made us coffee. And we were both drinking coffee. And I said, Jim, are you ready? Let's go and get sober out of our minds. And neither of us has touched a drop, drop since. And I, I did it to encourage Jimmy. But um, Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But, but what determination he showed to, to concrete, because he was a lost man. I mean, he was a proper drunk. You know, he, he yeah. was drinking a bottle of vodka a day and, and, and following it up with Guinnesses and, and bitter. And or it, it, it'd raid the, the, the um, dustbins to get, to get drink out, out the bottom of the dustbin. I mean, it's pathetic yeah. to watch it. And it wasn't the Jimmy you and I know. This, sure. This was a stranger to all of us. Do you ever think that um, the drink problem caused his departure at Tottenham? And do you think that the World no. Cup situation no, no, no. had anything to do with it you, you remember this is more more it wasn't the drink he, he, he was drinking a lot but he was running it off in training but he discovered bloody motor rallying and drove bill nicholson mad so he was giving more attention to the world cup rally he, he was driving from london to mexico in in a full uh, ford escort and he was more interested in that than he was in playing football when you, play, you played at crystal palace in the FA Cup, yeah. and, and Jim, Jimmy, Jimmy's shirt was out there, but Jimmy wasn't there. Jimmy's mind was elsewhere, yeah. and Bill Nicholson dropped him, and um, yeah. the rest is history because that was the last game he played. Played. Yeah. How did you go to that Crystal Palace game? Because it was I, in your yeah. area where you lived. Um, absolutely, and then those days I went to most away games, but yes, it was definitely at that one. And everybody seemed to treat it as, although Palace were a first division side, as were Tottenham. It was regarded as a giant killing because Palace was so much of a smaller side than us. And even though the first the first game was drawn at White Hart Lane when the pitch was at its absolute worst, 
they can you can drag the ball through the through the sand on it. Sure. So they thought everybody thought we'd win the replay because we'd be able to play proper football, but we didn't. Yeah, Palace had a player called Queen. Yeah, McQueen. Yeah. Jerry, Jerry Queen. Yeah, on my yeah. Daily Express report of the match, the headline was Queen Rules at the Palace. I remember that. <laughs> wow. Wow. And then and then he left six of us out the next game, Bill yeah. did. But, but you, you were rested, uh, Steve. Because he yeah, he, he made that. Your legs off. He made that point. He did make that point, you, thankfully. You dropped, the others were dropped. You, you yeah. were dropped. Yeah. And do you think that... Um, maybe talking against Jimmy here, because I think the answer from him would be yes. Do you think Alan Gilzeem was his best partner? Um, it's a toss-up between Bobby Smith and, and Gilly, and they're, they're yeah. totally different players. But Bob, Bobby was muscle and might, and uh, like a bulldozer. Yeah. Gilly, Gilly was like, as you know what I call him, Nurier von Grass. <laughs> no, he was, he was a beautiful stylist. But, yeah. but Jim, Jimmy worked off of Bobby's strength. Jim, Bob, Bob, Bobby would literally knock centre-halves over and, and Jimmy would pick up the pieces. Find the bits. Gilly would do it with nutmegs, sleight of hand. You know, he was, he was a magician. Yeah. Um, but... but um, Jimmy adjusted his game so that he was equally um, efficient alongside Gilly as he had been with Smithy. But, yeah. but don't be taking away from Bobby Smith. He, sure. He, he made so many goals for Jimmy with his strength. Yeah. And of course, they got the famous tag of the G-men. Oh, well, I, I do claim that. Do you? <laughs> like, I, like I called you the babyface assassin. This is... <laughs> <laughs> And look at you, look at you now. You're responsible for a lot of this stuff, Norman. <laughs> I, I was responsible and I'm, I'm so proud that I played with Jimmy Greaves, albeit only for six months. Yeah. Um, what an honour, what an honour. And, uh, you, you, Steve, and, you don't mind me saying so, you played with the shadow of Jimmy Greaves. J J Jimmy Greaves, at his peak, what was, as I said at the funeral, messy with bells on. I mean, he was fantastic. What a great quote that is. But, but um, the, the thing about uh, Jimmy was that uh, his mind and was on his businesses. He, people forget, he, he built up a business, it's called Trio Packaging, with his brother-in-law, Tom Barden. And he, he used, used to take it really seriously. He used to dress yeah. up with a tie, boy's coat, carrying a briefcase, and he, and he, and he loved that image. Yeah. And he'd, he'd been playing football nonstop since he was eight years old. You know, off, often twice a, certainly three times a weekend. Yeah. Um, so when he retired at 31, which which to us is ridiculously young, he had actually been playing, you know, like like a 40 year old. Was, yeah. It, yeah. He played hundreds and hundreds of games. Yeah. And with people trying to kick him the whole time. You you're trying to uh, tell us that players from that era era did not get tiredness. No, <laughs> well, <laughs> you think of those. I mean, you 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 played more games than anybody for Spurs, and and mm. you your old legs must have been tired. But and also you you played at the end of those bad pitches. I yeah. Mean, second half of your career, the pitches yes. were a lot better. Yes. But that was because of the scientists got used to knowing how to grow grass properly. Sure. But in this generation, they 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 played on mud heaps. 
I I was responsible for putting Gilly and Greavesy together. I think it was after about 30 years. That's just a number that you can pull out the air, but it might be 27 or 29. But but um, I got asked by a friend in Guernsey, owner of a hotel, big Spurs fan. Could I get Jimmy and Gilly together for a, a dinner over there? And I did it. And uh, I should have took a video of their meeting. Can, can I just inter interrupt there and say, and say that the hilarious thing about that is that somebody wrote a book, you know, about where is Alan Gilzine? And uh, there, it was a big mystery among everybody. And when I put it to Gilly, I said, I said Gilly, Gilly, you disappeared from sight. Where you been? He said, but I always knew where I was. <laughs> fabulous quote. Well, he told me he just didn't want the fuss. Exactly. He's he a shy. Yeah, a shy. I, I, I didn't want the fuss, Steve. So I'd say, Gilly, you know, if you sign pictures and they go out to the public, you can get money for signing the pictures. And by the way, if you go to Tottenham for a home game and visit some boxes and talk nice to people, you get paid for that. Yeah. And he much. just couldn't believe it. He said, you get money for your signature and then you get money for talking to people. I said, yeah, Gilly, you do. He said, I should have some of that, shouldn't I? I said, absolutely, you, you should. Anyway, after about six months, I turned up on one of my rare occasions and said to him, Gilly, how is it? This earning the money one. He said, money for old rope, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so... I once asked him, I said, who was your favourite partner? You know, don't like you do, so ask me. And he, and he didn't didn't even pause for a second. He said, uh, Bacardi and Coke. <laughs> <laughs> well, this... Because he had hollow legs, Gilly. You know, he, he drank more than Jimmy did. Yeah. In, in yeah. that Dave Mackay drinking school, the Bell and Hare, that I, that I was on the periphery of that. And, and Dave McKay used to give me two instructions. He said, number one, you, don't, you, you go deaf. You don't hear a thing we're saying. And if anything appears in the papers, you're a dead man. He said, number <laughs> two, get around in. In fact, <laughs> dear old Dave. Well, Norman, I think I told you this at the funeral that we, we, um, we got relegated, didn't we, in the mid-60s, 70s. And um, they spoke to the double team for just a quote about what they thought of the situation. And Morris Norman wrote, and I'm never going to forget this. I hear they don't even drink together. <laughs> <laughs> As if that's a major, a major thing that was separating us. And they obviously, they obviously thought it was a way of just getting together. It's the best teams are the best social clubs and, and the Kings were Liverpool. I mean, yeah. they, they could Absolutely. drink the table. They were unbelievable. Big, big Howard, yeah. Howard, Clem's told us a bit about that, hasn't he? The Liverpool Social Club. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he was one of the ringleaders. He was one of the ringleaders. And, and actually, most of the things he did when he came to Spurs were improved. Yeah. And the team spirit, for want of a better word, was much improved because, you know, he wanted us to all be together and and not like we weren't together before he come, but it was just official. Yeah. You know, we, you know, only, only have a couple of drinks, but then go home. But you're going to have to, when we get off that bus at Chesant, we're going to the, to the ball in Chesant or wherever it was. And, um, 
spoke, I spoke to Stephen today, by the way, chaps. Right. Stephen Clements, because we care about our ex-players and especially Clem's family. Just asked him if he was okay, and he said, yeah. I said, are you still in a job? He said, yeah. I don't know how long for, but I'm still in a job. <laughs> so, um, so bless him. Good, good man, Stephen. Good man. Can I say Clem Clem was from the 80s? I'm talking about the Shanks team. Yes, they I know. The Ronnie, Ronnie Yates. Yes. Tommy yep. Smith. Tommy Smith. You know, you know, Shanks said, said in a book or wherever, said that Clem was his best ever signing. Yeah. So yeah. that, that's a bit of an accolade, that, isn't it? What a lovely man. Oh. Great man. Great, great man. And and a favourite of this show, eh, chaps? One of our favourites. If it hadn't been for Pat Jennings, you'd be saying he was Tottenham's best. Exactly. But, but, but Pat was the king. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and good to see Pat at the funeral and Ozzy. Yeah. You, you know he's been on his back for a couple of months with um, COVID. Yes, yes, absolutely. Really well to get there. You know, just to bring a bit of light relief to this, when we're talking about a funeral and such a, such a great man leaving us, uh, did you see him there, Bob the Cat Bevan? Yeah, yeah. So when I drove into the, you know, where it was being held, I saw this face and I thought, I know that face, but I can't put a name to it. Anyway, eventually, after the service, this chap comes up to me and, it, of course, I've got it now. It's Bob the Cat Bevan. So we had a nice chat for 10 minutes and eventually said, Stephen, like Bill Nick did, Stephen, are you still in football? So I said, no, I've retired. He said, how long ago? I said, two years ago, Bob. He said, I was thinking about you the other day. I think you've got one more relegation in you. <laughs> which, which must be a standard line for his, yeah. his act. But, but, I hope so, anyway. But Steve, for your followers at home, that they should realise that Bob, Bob is one of the great stand-up comedians. Absolutely. They, they, they wouldn't know him. And, 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 what, what, and I'd say to him, Bob, why are you called the cat? He said, because I gave my defence kittens. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. And did Jimmy ever talk to you about his disappointment, or of course it was disappointment, with regard to the World Cup yeah, selection? Can I say there's a myth grown up about that? They, they all say that because Alf Ramsey left him out of that team, that uh, that turned him to the bottle. But Jimmy was already a heavy drinker before before that. Okay. And the only, the only reason he became an alcoholic, he, has a, he had a chemical imbalance. I mean, the likes of Bobby Moore, Gilly, Dave Mackay could drink Jimmy under the table. So it, it wasn't quantity with Jimmy. He had this chemical imbalance. And wow. Alcohol, and he would get drunk very quickly. Can, can, can you remember that, Steve? Well, you were probably too young to get involved. Too young. I wasn't involved. And you had principles. You, you, you wouldn't have been a drunkard like they... I mean, they were drunks. Mm. And, and they called it a bonus. If they played well, they'd have a good drink. It's <laughs> true. I mean, that, that was their reward for a good performance. They'd go, and yeah. get, go and get legless. Cliffy Jones. He, I mean, Cliffy became an alcoholic. Yeah. Yes, he did, yeah. People told me that they would leave the home match, albeit at the end of the game, because the game was good enough to stay. And then they'd sit in traffic and end up in a pub in Enfield <laughs> and walk into the pub. And Jimmy Greaves and Gilly had played 
and we're there at the bar. Yeah. And they're thinking, how can that work? How, how does that happen? They've had to have a shower. They've had to get dressed. They've had to leave the ground. Of course, there's traffic like we've had to. What, have they got a tunnel to the pub? <laughs> do, they, do they drive on different roads? What, yeah. what, what's happening? I mean, actually, you, you've got it right. The Bell and Air would have been the first, the first stop, stop, wouldn't it? So I, I don't quite believe that story. But, but they uh, used to be what, in the chair. But afterwards, um, particularly Gilly, Gilly would always drink at Enfield. And Jimmy knew every pub from Tottenham back to Hornchurch in Essex, where, where he lived at the time. Did he? Oh. Did, did you ever, um, Jim, I don't know if this was a funny line or a flippant line, but one day I was on, on stage with him and he spoke about moving too many times, moving house. Yeah. And good. one time oh, it, was, it was to Cornwall. Do you remember that? Can I tell that story? He, he said he's the only guy who went on holiday to Cornwall and took his furniture with him. Because <laughs> what happened was the very first Saturday he had he was working for Central Television and he was driving from Cornwall to Birmingham and he got got late for you know the program had already started and as, as he sat down and he's, he's done his piece to camera and then he's gone to a phone he said to Irene put the house in the market. She said, what do you mean? She said, we've only been here a week. She, she said, put the house in the market. I'm not going to sit in that traffic ever again. <laughs> and, uh, and so within three months, they'd moved from, I had a beautiful house in Cornwall. And, yeah. uh, as I said, it was a cracking nine, isn't it? I'm the only guy I went on holiday to Cornwall and took my furniture with me. Yeah, and it's not cheap to keep moving, is it? No, it took 21 houses he bought. I, 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 I 21 did, houses? Yeah, I did 12 and I thought I was doing well. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to buy my house. He, he, he tried to buy, you know, when we were writing the, this one's on me together, he tried to buy my house off me. He tried to buy it. <laughs> so I, one of my reminiscences is, is, is that um, because I uh, played with him for six months, then later on in life, I got involved with helping Jim at various theatre <laughs> functions yeah. and i would always get there early and listen to his stories and but you know what he was he was I, I i like this about essex people jimmy knew exit city i'm helping the lowest division he knew our last six results he knew our top goal scorer's name he knew if we had a player that was rated and was going to go higher and he knew why Essex fouled at batting the previous summer, and, um, and he was a it was a sport in that, wasn't he? He was a really good um, cricketer, golfer, and anything he turned his hand to, he could do. And he, he was ambidextrous. I mean, he, he could do it left-handed or right-handed. He's astonishing. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever play balance on the pitch? That beautiful yeah. balance he had. Did you ever play golf with him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I played with him at Fort Bay and um, he, he went through um, six miles bars and um, I, it, it was a four hour game at Fort Bay and it's only a small course and I, and I was the rabbit but he was very wow. patient but, but, but he said six, six miles bars he ate Wow and we said that we'd mention your two books um, Norman Could you, can you just give us a, a rundown on each book what, what they're about the first, the first one I, I wrote this, this year was um, called uh, My 70 Years of Spurs 
which takes us all the way through from the push and run days of Arthur Rowe all the way through to Pocatino. Yeah. And then and then the final chapter, and a spoiler alert, very sad ending, it was bloody Marino. Yeah. So I, I, f I finished the 70 years in tears because, I mean, that, mm. that Marino thing was a disaster. Yeah. But um, I've told it through the eyes of the managers, every every manager there's been. Sure. All the way through from Arthur Rowe, Jimmy Anderson, Bill Nick, da -da 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 -da. Yeah, yeah. And then um, a guy, a young, horrible guy called Steve Perryman did the introduction. That's right. He did. Yes. He did. I'll ask him about that. <laughs> no, he and what, uh, when, do, when do I get paid? <laughs> and what about the second book? The, sec the second book um, I wrote during lockdown, uh, Terry Baker phoned me. He said, Jeff Hirsch is uh, 80 in December, just before your birthday. His birthday is on, on the 8th of December. Okay. And, so, and he was born in 1941, the day after Pearl Harbor. Wow. Before your time, see. Anyway, wow. he, he said, uh, he, he said oh, we want to do a, a, an up-to-date biography. I said, you can't do another biography. I said, I said, he's written at least three. I said, uh, how, how about him picking all the players who have motivated him during his lifetime? And, uh, and I said, and not just football, in sport, because as you know, he's, he was a first-class cricketer. He played, he played county cricket for Essex. Did he? Um, and so we, well, I came up with the title, 80 at 80, and he's picked the 80 people who motivated him most. And I've turned every, um, uh, the, the biography, I've turned each one into a sort of short story. Yeah. For, for, yeah. for instance, so I'll ask you a few questions. Who who was the the um, the only world champion to have a fight in in a Swansea pub, Rocky Marciano, who who um, bedded twenty thousand women during his career? George Wilt Best. Wiltus no, Wiltus Wilt Stilt Chamberlain, the basketball player, seven wow. foot three black man. Wow. He, he said in his biography, autobiography, that he bedded twenty thousand women. God, God knows how he did that. Amazing, amazing. And, uh, and, and George Best is a lovely story that um, involved Jimmy. J Jimmy and George were having a pizza on the way to um, a theatre show with Terry Baker. And um, Terry had gone on ahead to the theatre. So there's, there's um, George and it's in Leeds. George and Jimmy having their pizzas. And uh, the and black man shuffles by an old tramp. <coughs> Bless you. Thank you. An old tramp shuffles by and, and George looks out the window. He said, that's Albert Yanderson. And Jim said, where? Well, he said, there. He said, it's not. It is. He said, he's got, he's got our problem, you know, because they were both alcoholics, Jimmy and uh, George. Yeah. And G George tapped on the window. Albert comes in. George buys him a pizza. And uh, Jimmy goes off to the theatre on his own because by then, George and Albert are heavily into talk and they decide... They're going to go on the razzle. And uh, George took him off and, and they got legless. And he finished up sleeping in Albert Hannison's um, bedsit in, in Leeds. Wow. And missed the show. And the next day he said to Terry, he said, he said I'm not going to apologise, Terry. He said, because I gave Albert Hannison the last great night of his life. And he's entitled to that. And Amazing. Said, George saw it as a, as a good deed. Amazing. <laughs> he was... Do you remember Johannesson, the, the, the black South African? Absolutely. Do you remember him, Howard? Leeds were probably in the second division then and just came up. 
He was one of the first black players, wasn't he? He played yeah. in the 1965 FA Cup final. He, he was a black right. flyer. He, he was... Um, yeah. He, but um, he, he would beat six men and then run the ball into the corn flag. He was one of those wingers. Yeah. And who was the black player who turned into a comedian? Charlie I think, Charlie I think Williams. He, Charlie yeah, Williams. played for Doncaster Rovers. Charlie yeah. Williams. Yeah. Charlie Williams. Yeah. Wow. He was as racist as they came. Was he? Yeah. <laughs> was he? Norman, so um, so did Jeff Hurst ever partner Jimmy Greaves? Jim, of course Jim, they did at West Ham, but in, in yeah, terms yeah, of the England he, team. Yes, they, they played together several times, and particularly in the one that they, they, they would prefer to forget, the 1967 match against Scotland, Scotland. When, when England had their first defeat and Scotland claimed the world title. Yeah. But you remember they, they took the Wembley home with them. They, they took the post, yes. the whole post, <laughs> yes. half the pitch. I mean, it was, and, and they, they were beaten 3-2. Yeah. And um, Jim, Jimmy said, at, um, as, as they're about to kick off, he said, we're in trouble. And... Um, they said, well, what, why, why are we in trouble? He said, Dennis Law's wearing shin pads. And Dennis never, ever wore shin pads. That, must be good. that set the tone, yeah. didn't it? Yeah. So, so, while we're talking about England, Scotland, there's something I remember, and people always forget this. In um, May of 1961, Tottenham completed the double. But five weeks before that final, England played Scotland at Wembley. England won nine three, and Dave Mackay <laughs> had had a nightmare. Did he? So he went into that double double final with, and he never ever forgot it, Dave. You you don't mention it here. You know, if you wanted a whack from Dave Mackay, just say nine three. <laughs> yeah. Who was the Who was the Scotland goalkeeper that day? Haffy. Nine Frank. Nine nine past Haffy. It was called Frank Haffy. <laughs> He finished up as a comedian in a nightclub in New Zealand. Did he? Frankly, yeah, yeah, he's a lovely bloke. That's amazing, amazing. He was never allowed to forget that one because he was responsible for five of the goals, you know, with really bad goalkeeping. Yeah. And um, people have listened to your... Um, your... What's it called? On YouTube, your... The eulogy? Your eulogy, yeah, and what what a wonderful, wonderful service, my word! And what about the the poem that his sister read? Yeah, beautiful. What what was his sister's name? Do you remember? Marion. You you Mary Marion and his brothers Paul. And what people don't realise is that Marion and Paul both became head teachers. And, Did they? Uh, and and Jimmy left school at fifteen. And um, because he was dyslexic, people used to think he was thick. But he was one of the most intelligent men I've ever known. Not a chance of being thick. But, but Not he, a chance. He was, dis, he was chron a chronic dyslexic. And, was uh, he? And that's why he never, ever read an autocue on television. Mm. Where one of the, the saints would sit there reading the autocue. With Jimmy, it was all fresh off the top of his head all the time. That, that's why... You, you saw the natural Jimmy Greaves, and, and it was wonderful to see it. Yeah. Would anyone mind if I read out this poem? Mm -hmm. It's called The Dash by Linda Ellis, 
and as Norman quite rightly said, was read by Marion, uh, Jimmy's sister. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on his tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of his birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he had said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that he spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved him know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. What words. Beautiful. Beautiful. What words. And, and, point, and Jimmy, poignant. Jimmy was full of dash. And uh, it, I mean, he did, he did everything magnificently, including being a piss artist. You know, it was mm. the best at everything he did, always. He did it to the maximum. Yeah. He could he never, no, never half measures with Jim. I, um, you know, when Jim left, uh, nobody wanted the number eight shirt. They should have retired it. Exactly. But they yeah. really should. Yeah. So young, naive Steve, who'd been number 11 and been this and any shirt sort of going and proud to do so, I ended up with a number eight shirt, Norman. Yeah. And I got a letter one day, well, about six, seven months after wearing the eight shirt. And this chap said, do you know that you're wearing Jimmy Greaves shirt? Steve, you don't even have a shot. <laughs> <laughs> so bless him. That's uh, that's how stuff goes. So a big shirt to fill, Steve. A big shirt to fill. Oh, you're kidding. Can I say, and I'll say it to your face, you filled it wonderfully. You you, oh. you you were a totally different player to Jimmy, but but you gave heart and soul to that club. And and uh, I say on behalf of all Tottenham supporters, thank you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I was proud to be associated with the great Jimmy Greaves. And we have such so enjoyed your words, Norman. Haven't we, chaps? Absolutely. Very much and, so. Steve, can I say, don't forget, I'm one of the few people who saw your 17 matches for the under 23s. And <laughs> That's it, right, and you it, did. And it was an utter disgrace that you only got the one cap against Iceland. Well, thank you very much. I am. Um, I know we're talking about Jimmy's goal-scoring prowess and goal-scoring records, but do you know that I've got a goal-scoring record, Norman? Oh, I scored at least one goal for 17 seasons. Every season that I was a pro with Tottenham Hotspur, I scored a goal. So obviously it says more about the longevity of it all than, than actually a goal-scoring feet but uh, but that's my claim to fame so norman it's been an absolute delight to listen to you steve i'm gonna have the last word i want this current spurs team to get the steve perryman spirit it's what they're lacking is spirit in that team if they're, they're going out there not, not playing with their hearts and their heads if they've got to give it their heart they've got to steve, it looks steve perryman would have done it looks like it's a job it's looking like it's a job. And, and when you 
when you enjoy playing football, I'm not saying I enjoyed every single game because there's a pressure sometimes playing for Tottenham. Um, but when you're enjoying it, you run faster, you jump higher, you think quicker. And that's absolutely not what we're doing. So you're not going to have the last word, Norman. You had the first word. <laughs> I've got to mention, I've got to mention. Do you have much to do with um, Clive, Clive Allen? Yeah, well, yeah, I was, I was happy with him yesterday. He's lovely. Yeah, Clive's uh, appearing, talking, and he's a good. He's got a good story to tell. The Clive Allen night at Madden's Bar, one three zero Finchley High Road. Uh, anyway, whoever sent me this has not given can me the I, date. Can I say for 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 Clive Allen? fans <clears throat> that he was born in May 1961, the, the month that, that Tottenham got the double. And his dad, Les, was a wonderful mm. positional player. He, he was a different centre forward. To Absolutely. He, Absolutely. He, he an artist. Yeah. So um, winter's coming. I've had my first casserole of the year. And we're, we're all looking forward to the Manchester United um, Game, are we? We've got Burnley on Wednesday. We've got Burnley on Wednesday, of course we have. Yeah, League Cup. Yeah. And we all know what happened maybe the last time we played in the League Cup. We got beat 4 1 by them. Was you at that one, Howard? I was. I think we scored quite early, Terry Gibson. Yeah. And we sort of thought maybe this is going to be easy. And then we, Trevor Stephen played for Burnley that night. I think it got him the move that, to Everton. Yeah. And eventually won the league with them, didn't he? So um, I, I, I was at White Hart Lane when uh, Tottenham were beating Burnley four 0 at half time. It finished up four four. Wow! And Bill Nicholson was a nervous wreck at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, chaps, let's finish on a positive note. So good luck to our team. Yeah, they are our team. Whatever, whatever we think of the West Ham game and. And, the, the, and Tottenham Hotspur always will always belong to the supporters, not to Enoch or any businessmen. It belongs to the supporters. You have just had the last word there, Norman. Thank you very much. Thank you, chaps. Tom, it's sorry, right. Howard, you didn't get more more time to speak to this great gentleman, but um, we'll, we'll involve you a bit more next next time. Thank you all. Up the Spurs. Thank you.